games won't stop. When will the games stop? Hello and welcome to Money Self Made. Today's episode is an exciting one because I am going to get personal and uh, we're gonna dive into GameStop before everyone else was talking about it. It was all I heard about for 90 days. So I'm excited that everyone else is finally on board because I have been listening to the mythic legend of the man, the myth himself, Ryan Cohen. And we're gonna dive into that today. We're also going to talk about what it's like to have a six-figure sum in GameStop, what it's like to become multimillionaires overnight, and what it's like to then lose it all. So that's gonna be a fun conversation. And I don't like posting newsy scarcity tactics, buy, sell, buy, sell. I'm not an individual stock picker. I am a ride or die long-term type of gal. I'm all about diversification and that's what I preach. So as a disclaimer, nothing in this podcast is meant to be financial advice. We are just talking about what we did, why we did it, so that you can in the future make smarter decisions yourself. So please treat this as a case study. Um, it's just sort of an interesting behavioral finance examination. Without further ado, please enjoy. All right, today I'm here with our Mike. Mike. <laughs> um, Mike and I happen to be married, so I've had a front row seat to his adventures with GameStop this week. And we've been wanting to podcast what we've been doing, but we haven't figured out what kind of angle to take because we wanted to see how it would play out. And I think it played out in a really interesting way today. So I am just going to ask Mike lots of questions because he called this back in December and we've been talking about what this means and what will happen pretty much all month. So let's start with you, Mike. Tell me your first instinct about GameStop. Like, how did you stumble upon it? Uh, I stumbled upon it from our uh, the, the now famous subreddit of Wall Street Bets. So uh, it was touted because this I saw a screenshot of the uh, gains thus far from a, a user called Deep Fucking Value. So this <laughs> this user had uh, pretty much been touting GameStop since 2019. Like, hey, GameStop's actually not going bankrupt, even though everyone thinks they're going bankrupt. They've just paid down a whole bunch of debt, um, et cetera, et cetera. And then there was there was um, when I first started getting wind of it, it was because the founder of Chewy had started expressing interest and held about nine. 9.9% of the company. So it was just under the amount that he would actually start needing to file SEC forms for. But he wrote a very um, kind of scathing, almost like pushy, not not scathing, but um, a very adamant uh, write-up of what he'd like to see happen in GameStop and what they should do for their shareholders in order to capitalize on the, the gaming industry, how it's growing, etc. So um, it was... It was pretty big. So Brian Cohen is, of course, the founder of Chewy. So he grew Chewy from $100,000 that he found an investor for and turned that into a $3.5 billion sale. And Chewy is now a publicly listed company that values for about $40 billion. So this guy knows e-commerce. Um, not only does he know e-commerce, uh, when Chewy scaled to $200 million a year in sales, he had to, all of his 3PLs, his third-party providers for shipping and fulfillment, didn't want to scale with Chewy anymore. They, was, they were getting too big, and they didn't have any plans to get any bigger. So Ryan Cohen had to essentially build a complete fulfillment center from the ground up, never have knowing it before, but he, he was able to successfully do that and compete against Amazon for pet and pet product fulfillment. And uh, the pet products is much smaller in terms of market capital than the gaming industry. So seeing Ryan Cohen wanting to actually go head first and buy almost 10% of a company, write a letter to uh, the board of directors and say, hey, I want to see the best value possible and I want to help um, GameStop turn around and actually become a profitable company that people want to associate with gaming. So at that point, a few after that, that was a article or that it was a letter he wrote to the board in November. So in December, it, he he doubled down after their earnings. After their uh, earnings, Ryan Cohen filed a SEC form uh, as a 13D saying, hey, I purchased up to 9 million shares, 9 million, um, 100, or 9 million, 1,000 shares. So it's over 9,000, over 9,000 million. So it's like a, <laughs> it's like a Dragon Ball Z meme, which is pretty funny. Uh, so there's like interesting little, he's, he's like a memer gamer himself, or at least <laughs> that's what's speculative from the particular number. If you look at the SEC filing, it's exactly 9 million, 1,000. So it looks like over 9,000. But um, 
So after that, I was like, okay, if he can buy 9 million shares and he wants to turn GameStop around and GameStop is not going uh, bankrupt, that means GameStop is severely undervalued because they, they do about $7 billion a year in gross revenue. So they're, they're struggling to turn a profit, but um, where they are becoming profitable is their e-commerce. So their e-commerce on their last earnings had grown 309% year over year, which is huge. And now accounts for 40, a little over 35% to, uh, percent of their uh, total earnings, which is incredible. So just, just their e-commerce segment uh, brought in $1.7 billion a year uh, and they were still only valued at that time at like just $1.1 billion total. So they were severely undervalued for uh, the pace at which they're growing on their e-commerce and their, the and also the, the fact that we're coming into a new console cycle. Um, as everyone knows, we have the new Xbox, we have the new PlayStation 5, um, as, and they not only have physical discs, um, They've also, I mean, the console cycle's huge. Everyone wants one. Uh, they've sold out very quickly, and GameStop has been one of the only brick-and-mortar stores to actually have a, a decent supply occasionally. So having that new console cycle coming through, their e-commerce is growing hand over fist, um, and they were shorted into the ground as well. So um, about 140% of their float, uh, a float is the amount of stock that is available to be traded. So uh the <clears throat> the amount of stock available for GameStop is around 67 million, and the uh, the amount of float is essentially the available shares to be traded. So institutions hold a chunk, um, internal investors hold a chunk. Um, so that reduces your your float to probably about 50 million. So there's about 71 million shares that were sold short. So selling short is when you're betting on the company, it's going down. So not only do we have a huge transition to most likely profitability with the new console cycle increased e-commerce um they were sold short into the ground so it, it just made a bunch of sense that even if we didn't have a short squeeze which we've been seeing over the the past couple weeks um that gamestop was going to turn around easily and if ryan cohen can uh do what he did with chewy we'd probably see we could see anywhere from a 20 to 40 billion valuation organically um so that's that's why I got into to GameStop and started looking at it. it was really just all of the uh, fundamental natures of just being really undervalued and the potential of going forward. And you, okay, so for the listeners at home, what is a squeeze? What is a short squeeze? So a short squeeze essentially is what happens when you have a large portion of the available shares shorted, meaning someone borrowed a share from someone else and then sold it, anticipating it to go down in value, at which point they can buy it back later and they take the difference between what they sold it for and what they bought it back for and then return that share. So with a short squeeze, what happens is the the price of the stock will go up at some point. So if the if it goes up violently, a short sellers will have to scramble to close all of their positions. So um, when a short seller wants to close their position, they have to purchase the share. So when you supply and demand, if you have to purchase a share and you have a major amount of a percentage of the shares sold short, that means there's gonna be a huge scramble to purchase those shares, at which point the market will make the price and the price will shoot up because there's only so many people who are selling shares at any given time. So that will cut the short squeeze, is essentially a very rapid ramp up of price because the people who sold short are being forced to buy in order to cover their positions. Got it. Um, but you invested in GameStop as the long game, is that right? That's correct, yes. So I totally believe in the vision of uh, Ryan Cohen and um, he did end up joining the board of directors uh, just recently. He's one of the catalysts for in initiating the short squeeze. Ryan Cohen joined the board and he also brought two of his uh, co-founders of Chewy, so the CFO and the COO, um, uh, I think it was Jim Gruber and uh, Alan Atal, I believe is their names, I, I could be incorrect. Um, so I apologize if I butchered that. But he brought those two that helped him build and found Chewy and grow it into where they were able to sell it. So with those guys on board, they know e-commerce, they know shipment and distribution networks, and um, with GameStop's 500 or 5,000, brick and mortar stores, they could really turn GameStop into uh, something, again, that's 
could fulfill same day type shipments because they'd be much more agile than things like uh, Amazon where they just have a regional distribution centers. You could literally purchase something off of GameStop and have something like Grubhub or uh, some kind of delivery system that's very local um, be able to distribute or uh, take product to the door from smaller stores. So there's a, there's a bunch of, uh, I mean, a speculation. We don't know exactly where they're going, but uh, there's a lot of potential for um, what they've done with Chewy, how they ran the e-commerce business, um, distribution and uh, fulfillment, and um, game, the, the position of GameStop as being pretty much ubiquitous. The only major brick and mortar or even retailer out there, whether it be e-commerce or otherwise, that is devoted to gaming and has been devoted to gaming uh, since their inception. Very interesting, very interesting. So how much of your network did you decide to invest in GameStop and when did you decide to make this investment? How much of my net worth? Um, I would say it was about a quarter of my net worth. It was uh, what was available in. Um, <laughs> we can just, just let her do what she's gonna do. <laughs> it, it, was, okay. it, was a, it was the large chunk of my uh, after, after tax uh, investments because mm -hmm. that, that was my most agile. I didn't have 401ks are typically locked up into specific funds that you can purchase. So that was that was where my 401k is. The Roth IRAs are kind of similar. Um, so it was it was the part of my um, portfolio that I could actually very easily liquidate something and move into it. So all in, I put about one hundred and thirty thousand dollars into GameStop, um, and yeah, so it was, it was a pretty significant chunk. Wow. Well, congratulations, kind of. Um, so what? how did that play out after you put that investment into GameStop from beginning to end? Uh, well, when I first started buying in, was um, it was about $19. That was back in December, uh, and it just shot up. Um, it was, it had, it's been going up and down and pretty volatile, but it shot up to like $19 one day, and I bought it for like $19.32, which was $0.10 cents off the absolute peak for that day, and then it proceeded to drop a good 20%, um, down to like $12 a share, but it doesn't really matter. I didn't lose anything unless you sell. So, um, look like I took like a $10,000 loss at that point, but then, um, it did naturally go back up. Um, and then my, I continued purchasing as it was down. Um, cause it, it's best to move into position, not a hundred percent all at once. Um, a lot of the times for when it comes to this kind of a volatile stock, you want to kind of ease into um, your total buying power, what you're you're going to actually be purchasing into. So I had purchased it on that, it dropped, and then it purchased more. Um, but it was really the day that we saw Ryan Cohen put 9 million shares. That's when I really went in. Um, I purchased about 4,000 shares that day uh, at about $15.80. So, How did you know that Ryan Cohen made that purchase? Oh, SEC filings. Mm -hmm. So it's a 13D. It's a specific piece of paperwork that if you purchase over 10% of a publicly traded company, you must file this paperwork. And, ah, uh, okay. Where did you find that? Uh, SEC. SEC.com? The SEC.org. Yes, it's a, okay. it's a government website. Great. Okay, interesting. How did you know to check that out? And just keeping tabs on SEC filings for companies you keep an eye on. They're important. Uh, they show insider trades. Um, so like in this case, it shows that Ryan Cohen is now an insider and he purchased X amount of shares. Um, whenever uh, the board or any C-level um, makes a transaction, uh, they'll have to note it there if they sell or purchase additional shares. So um, like if you might see a, a stock randomly drop one day. Uh, you won't know why, but there's been an SEC filing that says, hey, that multiple people of a board of directors decided to sell a whole bunch of stock. And then other people will say, well, if insiders are selling, then I'm gonna get out. Um, so things like that, people um, people always monitor these kinds of things for, for stock. Mm, okay. And so how, when was the first time that, well, one, I suppose, why did you adamantly believe in this? Because at the time, everybody, including, especially including, which we should really mention, the press, mm -hmm. and even myself, because I'm very skeptical, like I need a lot of paperwork backing up these types of decisions, and mm -hmm. Mike had to validate this to me over and over. But I said, go for it. You know, I, he convinced me. Um, but this mythic epic story of Ryan Cohen, not to mention, meanwhile, the press is going bananas over this being the next blockbuster, mm -hmm. and retail is dead, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So why did you hang in there? Well, because the after looking into the company and looking at their, um, in January they released, uh, hey, this is how we've done so far this quarter for like the holiday retail. And that's how we know their e-commerce grew. Um, they did close stores, but those were unprofitable stores. So even though they 
had lowered their net uh, or sorry their gross income i think they uh, the the news just touted it oh they had less revenue um but actually if you take a look their uh, store versus store comparable sales went up on the stores that were no longer closed so we're actually seeing a go back to retail because people have been jammed up in covid for so long so it's nice to actually get back into retail people like going and looking at physical things so um the e-commerce is growing. Their unprofitable stores have closed. Um, the stores that are still open are seeing comparable sales increase. So it's it's interesting to see the the hit jobs on the the main or like major news institutions like saying yeah it's it's a blockbuster. Um, but if you start getting into it, there's it's a it's almost like tinfoil hattie. Um, but, but there's, there's a, a lot, lot of market, market manipulation. manipulation by massive funds and. Um, what they'll do is they'll go and buy news articles to make sure that whatever company that they're shorting is looked at in the absolute worst light as possible. So I think that kind of attributed to it. Uh, um, the people who shorted GameStop have shorted it so heavily. What they were betting on was GameStop to go completely out of business, go bankrupt, and they would never have to purchase any of those shares again. So if they continue to tout that, hey, this is Blockbuster, hey, this is this, that actually changes market sentiment. Not only do people not want to buy the stock anymore because it's doing so poorly, um, people stop shopping there because they see it in the news. So it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. So then these people who just shorted this company end up winning. Um, there's many articles you can actually start uh, look into uh, different ways that markets have been manipulated by massive funds. Um, our friend Jim Kramer from Mad Money has actually, um, there's a video floating around on YouTube how he used to uh, be in charge of a hedge fund and he actually discusses all the tactics of how um, hedge funds would manipulate the price of a stock to either go up or down depending on the holdings of the hedge fund. So in the case of uh, GameStop, I believe that uh, most of the negative news was perpetrated by the funds that were sold so short they didn't want to have to cover their positions. Why did these funds bet against GameStop so deeply given all of the clear numbers that it was not yet a failing company. <laughs> you know, because it did look like it was failing. Mm. It looked like it was really, really failing, especially when uh, the pandemic hit uh, back in March of 2020. It, we had to close, they had to close stores and mm. they had a lot of debt. Um, but since then, they've actually restructured. A lot of people moved to um, online. So e-commerce boomed. So they, they didn't quite die because I think a lot of people moved to e-commerce. People were shut in. They needed video games, so even though we saw GameStop doing poorly and their sales were affected, they were on the brink, and I think the the people were just getting overexcited for the fact that they were going to fail. Um, so I think they just overextended themselves because they thought they had a, a sure thing, but it ended up not being a sure thing. Now, why they didn't close out their positions much sooner when... Um, three quarters of the way through 2020, it seemed like they were going to be on the path of recovery, especially after news in the, I think it was like, I forgot what month it was. It was like July or August. Uh, Microsoft did a deal with GameStop in order to um, share revenue for all digital downloads or digital purchasing when an Xbox is purchased or uh, if when an Xbox is purchased from GameStop. So there's this... Uh, even after that, I mean, they jumped from like $2 a share to like $7 a share to $11 a share. Um, so why they didn't close at that point and could just cut their losses, I don't know. Um, but it's it's exploded into now they are <laughs> blaming retail, the, the massive funds and uh, the market makers that um, transact have essentially shut down. Uh, the ability to trade uh, GameStop. So I don't, I don't know why they got so dug in, but I think it was mostly uh, hubris, potentially. Mm, absolutely. I suppose an, an important question we should talk about, and I want to be really clear here that, again, you don't win or you don't lose until you sell. So all of the numbers we're about to talk about is essentially, I wouldn't say fake money, but to a degree, it's play money. It's like Monopoly. So tell me um, the first... GameStop 
win that you experienced and what has been sort of your profit along the way? Oh, um, the, well, the first GameStop win, I mean, just buying it was a win <laughs> and holding on to it through um, when I initially bought my first chunk, uh, watching it go down and just holding through anything and not just having a vision of, hey, I'm going to hold this for a long time. And I believe in the the prospects of what could be. So and then um, from there, the first big win was shortly after Ryan Cohen filed his 13D. It popped pretty good. So that went up. Um, pretty considerably. I think there was like a 10 or 15% increase. Um, and over the next couple of weeks, he joined the board and he also brought his uh, CFO and COO. And that, the the news cycle took a minute, uh, took a moment for the market to digest that one because we saw the news that he was going and we didn't see any kind of action. It was actually a fairly low volume day. Um, and then two days later on a Friday, we popped from, I think it was like, 19 or 20 dollars up to 35 or 37 or something like that and then the following week it popped up to 60 70 um up to 160 so along the way it's just uh grown continually of just bigger and bigger wins every day um until today where um essentially we still see a huge amount of the gamestop shorted so a lot of people uh, are consistently tracking the amount of short interest in the market and how many people have sold short. So the, the short interest is still incredibly high and there's a lot of funds that still have not closed their position even though we've rumped up to 300. I think it, it peaked at $500, over a little over $500 this morning uh, pre-market. And then after the opening bell, it peaked up to about $480 a share. At which point, um, Robinhood, uh, TD Ameritrade, uh, Webull, and a number of other firms decided that, hey, we're, we're only going to allow you to sell. We're not going to allow you to buy any more GameStop. So we've seen pretty much a the, the free market halt the ability of retail, just retail investors. So the, the funds who are short are still allowed to buy. Um, but this essentially caused a panic, and we saw uh, GameStop move from 400, like almost $500 a share, and it dropped down uh, at the lowest of the day was about $118. So they locked up being able to trade, and the only people who could buy were the major funds, and the only people and only retail investors could only sell. Um, so it's a really messed up. It's gotten it's been all the buzz this morning. Uh, today's what January 28th. Um, 2021. Uh, it's already got the uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Ortez, uh, AOC, she's already on it, uh, wanting an investigation. There's been um, a class action lawsuit filed against uh, Robinhood in order to see why they stopped trading because uh, it, it just seems like there's just collusion from uh, the top in order to halt trading, in order to instill fear, uh, and uh, to force, pretty much give retail investors the only option is you have the option to sell and that's it. So um, it's been a really interesting day. Um, <laughs> I mean, there was a pretty much a, a seven figure drop in from, from the top two and it was 115. I, I showed you the numbers this morning and it was like a minus a million or something like that. Um, it has since uh, kind of gone up, but uh, yeah, there's there's some interesting forces and factors at play um, where these hedge funds have just dug themselves in so deep. And um, yeah, it's interesting. I should make a note here that Mike and I have discussed this a lot. And essentially what we've been calling it is sort of a billionaire war situation. And as much as I believed in everything that he said and the numbers convinced me, the story convinced me, I also was aware that if I placing a bet against GameStop, we were also placing a bet against some very wealthy and powerful people who uh, had a lot of investments betting against GameStop. So mm -hmm. in terms of a rigged system, I had a lot of hesitation and doubt because I was fully aware that if you bet against people with that level of power or wealth, uh, you might find yourself 
on the losing side, whether uh, you were right or whether you called it or whether you didn't. So tell me a little bit more about what you think about Robinhood, TD Ameritrade, and how these other firms have reacted to the situation. Oh, I think it's scummy. It's the scummiest of the scummy. Mm -hmm. Um, There should be no reason that uh, the free market should be closed to retail only retail investors and only for buying. So these guys are in short positions, meaning they are forced to purchase out to close their positions. So they have restricted retails to not buy and only sell, which causes fear. So it allows them to get out of their position at a very low price. So it's manipulation at its finest. I mean, it should be absolutely illegal. Um, I mean, I, I hope uh, the SEC and I hope uh, our Congress people can look into why exactly the funds were, were stopped and to see if Citadel and other market makers were uh, in collusion to stop this in order to bail out their, their hedge fund friends. Because, hmm. uh, I mean, at this point, since more than the amount of shares exist are sold short, they pretty much have no option except to purchase shares at any cost in order to close out their positions and there's been many hedge funds if you take a look at the news that are down 20 or 30 percent or more just this year because of all the short positions that they were holding um and there's been a real big raid uh on short positions recently so um stocks that have had a very high percentage of their um stocks being sold short have since also been stopped so it's not just gamestop it's amc um naked uh, and a few other a few other names at this point who have completely stopped the ability to purchase. You can only sell, and um, it, yeah, it's it's weird. So wait, BlackBerry and EMC, you can't correct Black BlackBerry. You can uh, earlier today you cannot buy. You could only sell that tank of BlackBerry from like twenty dollars down to like fifteen dollars. Um, you you could only sell amc same thing i mean we on all the and these are companies that have been heavily shorted and then we can you can take a look at every single one of these tickers that have been have had the ability to purchase stop and the only thing you can do is sell it's caused fear and panic and you can look at all it just drops uh significantly on all these tickers so if that's not market manipulation from the top down uh i don't know what it is so it's it's a terrible thing. I hope it's investigated and uh, these someone's brought to justice because there's a lot of people that uh, are playing the game and they've been told to play the game. Hey, put your put your money into stocks and build a portfolio and invest and here's how you do it. And then when we actually play the game that they've been playing, um, suddenly the retail investor is the evil one and it needs to be shut down. Now these these tactics of short sale. Uh, attacks on short sale um, or high percentage of short sale stocks is nothing new. Hedge funds have actually gone after hedge, other hedge funds and wars of attrition uh, prior to today. It's just never been retail doing this to other hedge funds. So there's been times when something's been sold very short. A hedge, one other hedge fund will see that there's an opportunity, uh, go buy a bunch of stuff up and force the other hedge fund to do. So this this is not a new tactic or a new thing that's been done before. It's a short sale raid. Um, and now, But now that the retail investor is playing by it, they're totally changing the rules, shutting things down and manipulating the retail investor. So they're once again the people holding the bags, which is terrible. Because it's going to really uh, take away the, I mean, we had a lot of, we have to have a lot of faith in the stock market. I mean, it's where people put their money. It's put where people put their 401ks. Um, and if they're just going to shut it down when the retail investor is winning, then that's a problem. I agree. Uh, so how are you going to handle this? What are your next steps? What are my next steps? Well, I'm just going to hold on to GameStop. Mm-hmm. Um so that's step one. Mm-hmm. Um, probably try to be vocal. There's SEC forms that we can file for complaints against all the brokers who decided to stop the ability to purchase it, um, as well as uh, joining in the class action lawsuit. Uh, if you were a Robinhood user and you were trying to purchase AMC or um, GME or anything else and you're, you were forcefully um, only allowed to liquidate, then there, there are uh, there's already a class action lawsuit uh that's been filed in the state of new york 
So SDNY, there's already been one filed there. So hopefully we'll be able to get uh, some answers around that. But just being vocal, call your senator, call your congressman. Um, make sure that you let them know you're unhappy uh, if you've been affected by it. And uh, we shouldn't take it sitting down. That's really what it's all about. It's bringing the, we have the power. We make a significant number of the overall market. They used to say that retail doesn't move markets, but now in the, the day of zero cost trading um, and our ability to make uh, investment decisions with uh, open information quickly and easily distributed over internet forums, um, we should be able to use that power. So. Absolutely. So we, from the beginning, were always going to just sit on GameStop. I also own some GameStop and I'm not selling it uh, because I don't believe in selling it. But I would say that I, I like I'm a buy and hold kind of gal, uh, ride or die. But I should also mention that we also in this roller coaster of a week that we've been on have had a lot of highs and lows, but we've been pretty stoic throughout the situation because we knew we were biting off a pretty big piece to chew. Mm -hmm. But it has also presented us with some really interesting dilemmas of when to sell and mm -hmm. how we were going to handle it. So, um, the strategy that I'm glad that we took was we recouped our initial investment immediately and we did that yesterday. So if you are going to go the route of gambling or betting on a market, uh, it's always a really great idea to at least get your money out first. Like what you put in, try to get that out even if you have to pay taxes on that. Um, but know that you will be paying higher taxes if you don't hold on to something for a year, which is why I veer towards index funds over picking individual stocks. Um, nevertheless, this also taught us a really great lesson in terms of taking risk is really key and it's important, but you want to make very educated decisions when you're doing this kind of thing. Mike and I looked at this from every single angle multiple times over. So what would you advise to somebody in terms of who's just getting into stocks or doesn't know much about stocks? How should they kind of get their foot in the door and get educated on this kind of stuff? Uh, if you know nothing about stocks, um, just... Uh, Don't try this at home. <laughs> well, Investopedia is a really good outlet. It's a website online that you can visit and they have all sorts of different things. So uh, understanding what a company is, what a stock is, and what... what creates the value of a stock. Why, why is a stock um, valued at what it is? Um, and also different aspects of what is what is the stock market? Um, like what's the difference between the New York Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ? Um, take a look at what the price of the price of the individual stock has to do with the overall market cap uh, because the market cap is created from the amount of shares you have to trade, as well as the individual cost of each share gives you a total market cap. So try to understand the individual, all the, the nitty gritty details of what a stock is, um, why it matters to the company, and what can be done uh, around that if you really wanna get involved. And then when it comes to investing into companies, learn how to read a balance sheet, um, look at uh, quarterly uh, income, uh, expenditures, uh, EBITDA, um, gross revenues, uh, net revenues, um, all that kind of stuff. So uh, just try to understand the fundamental constituent pieces that make up a stock. And it's not just some ambiguous floating thing out there. It's a, it's a uh, very technical, uh, intricate idea that, and there's a lot of data and a lot of information in each individual stock. So really just understanding what a stock is, why we have it, how to trade it. Um, if you want to get into trading, understand your orders as well, because there's market orders, there's limit orders, there's stop, stop limit. Um, th there's a number of different orders. So understand your orders so you know how to enter a stock, how to exit a stock, uh, and your, your opportunities to go around that. Um, so that, that would be the basic things. Get on Investopedia. Um, learn as much as you possibly can about investing. So that's a great starting resource. 
Absolutely. We didn't make any of these decisions by going on TikTok and going YOLO GameStop. Although there was a little bit of YOLO. There was, there. there was a little bit of YOLO after <laughs> uh, really considering all the pros and the cons, the risks. And uh, once once it was apparent that it was an asymmetrical trade um, and that the, the pros outweighed the cons, then that's when the YOLO came in. It was uh, and it wasn't a complete YOLO. You'll, you only live once. That, that's kind of a term used by Wall Street bets to take your entire portfolio and throw it at one thing and say, let's let's do it. Um, this is more of a like, hey, I have uh, a chunk, a significant chunk of my portfolio that I'm willing to risk in an asymmetrical trade because the, the risk is actually quite low. So uh, it's really boiling down to uh, risk management at that point. So. YOLO, but with a lot of time and effort put into understanding uh, the risks. 100%. What did you think about Mark Cuban's tweet about Wall Street bets? And tell me a little bit more about how you found Wall Street bets. Uh, I, I just briefly read Mark Cuban's tweet. It looked like he's on our side. Mm-hmm. He, he doesn't think that uh, we should just be able to stop trading just because hedge funds or market makers are uh, losing at the game that they have created. Um, so th- that's really cool to have backers of, or at least someone on our side who's also a billionaire. Uh, and then how did I find Wall Street bets? I found it. I'm just, I'm a Reddit junkie, not going to lie. It's a terrible thing. Um, <laughs> I spend way too much time on there. But um, I mean, you see occasionally uh, a random picture of someone's either horrible, horrible loss or amazing gain would uh, uh, hit the all subscription. So I was like, wow, what is this? Decided to subscribe to it. And that was kind of the end of it. Went through and, and just kind of watched occasionally. I never really did any kind of YOLOing or anything like that. I've been a ETF guy, mostly just like a uh, slow and steady type of thing. So this was really it, well, I should say the, the Wall Street Vets also got me into learning more about options um, and learning about more of the, the fundamental constituency of what makes a stock and all the different technical drivers around a stock uh, and all the, the derivative functions of a stock and how the derivatives can um, affect the, the price of the stock itself. So Wall Street Bets is as uh, rude and amazing as they are. I mean, mo- most people won't be able to tolerate the terrible language and um like homophobic and ter- like things that go on there but really it's all uh gibbering and and entertaining um but i would have to say it was it's been one of the most um educational places that i've ever been on the internet in terms of learning about how um the financial markets work which is amazing because it just started with people trying to find the most ridiculous highest risk to highest return uh, possible in the stock market to see if they can uh, 10x or 100x their value because um, these days, I mean, millennials are underpaid and under underappreciated. So if they can take $1,000 and turn that into 10000 and turn that into a million, um, that's what they're really going for because houses are crazy expensive. No one can afford them. Uh, job job uh, pay has not gone up a whole lot. So it's really just a really interesting place that uh, has formed based upon macroeconomics and the ability to have easy trading on your, your phone. I love that. I was talking in my writers group, which has a lot of financial writers in it, and we're discussing what this means and how it's a it's sort of a takeover of our generation um, and sort of a rebellion against the kind of broken and fixed system that we have been raised with. So I think that that's pretty empowering and pretty cool. Uh, what does it feel like to become an overnight millionaire? And then <laughs> <laughs> I should say an overnight multimillionaire and then have it all taken away from you. <laughs> it's interesting. It definitely is interesting because you're like, wow, that's a big number. Um, but you actually, in the long run, you don't really feel any different than yourself, really. It was just, it's kind of like, wow, what do I do with this? But at the same time, you're still just you. I mean, I didn't really feel too much different. 
It is it is a little stressful seeing those kinds of swings if you've never experienced it before. I mean, it's a, it's a wild ride. It's it's almost stressful. Like, oh my gosh, what if it all slips away? But then when it did slip away, it's like, oh, okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it ebbs yeah. and flows so quickly that um, you kind of get over it. And I think that's part of the market. Um, GameStop is like a once in a lifetime type of thing. But uh, yeah, having, having looked at this kind of wild swing and living through it, I think it'll make me a stronger trader in the future that'll be um be able to take on more risk because i mean if i can hold through a million dollar swing i think i'll be able to hold through other swings in the future um i also lived through 2008 and saw my uh 401k cut in half at that time um but i mean we lived through it all i think it's just making me a little bit more robust and learn from all the experiences i'm going through I love that. And I just also want to touch upon some of the bigger losses because I I always make sure there's a lot of people that like to brag about their gains and their wins, but there's always losses and people don't like to talk about those. So let's talk about your biggest stock down day. Yeah. Can you give us some, some of that backstory? It was uh, just before the pandemic hit or um, as we were easing into that and things started going into lockdown, um, I was in some options trade on like AMD um, and a couple of, I think uh, Microsoft uh, and it just everything tanked. So um, the previous day, AMD had done like a really big run up and I had done, it was like a positive 11 or $15,000 a day or something around there. And then the next day it was like minus, uh, it was like the opposite way. It was like minus 15 or 20,000. So I was in the hole um, quite a bit. And then with the, the scare of the whole pandemic thing, I just exited those positions because options do expire. So I was either go to zero or cut my losses and take it, which is a good, I, I cut my losses, didn't lose everything. Um, but it, I mean, the market can turn on you immediately. Same thing with GameStop. It's like this big rally, but it takes one person, billionaire, government entity, not liking what you're doing and can strip it all away from you. So uh, as we saw today with GameStop, it was rocketing up and then everyone couldn't buy anymore. And then it just crashed. So um the market can turn at any point. So don't risk what you can't afford to lose. That's a good advice. It's very sound, sober and lucid advice, which I like to preach on this platform. Uh, do you have any other final words in terms of things you would never do in the stock market uh, or things that you think are like a solid investment strategy that would see somebody through to success? Things I would never do. Um, highly leveraged Forex trades. Okay. Not going to do it. Mm -hmm. um, most likely uh, highly levered stuff. Uh, options are levered, but you are going to have pretty much a maximum thing that you can lose. If you're buying, uh, say, an option, a call option, you're only going to be able to lose what you put into it. Uh, some of these highly levered uh, things like futures or Forex, you can lose much more than um, you put into it. So mm -hmm. highly levered vehicles I, I stay away from. Um, but most of the times I say I'll, I'll try anything once. So um, if, if it's new and it's interesting, I'll probably read about it to try to understand what it is and how, how it functions technically, uh, whether or not I would buy that particular investment vehicle um, would really just depend on after reading it and understanding what it is, how it works um, and what the risk versus reward is going to be, uh, then I would move into it. What is the next stock that you have an eye on? What is the next stock that I have an eye on? Um, Oh, I don't know. After this GameStop thing, it's probably just uh, take take a step away and not look at um, mm -hmm. brokerages for a little bit of time. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I'll let you know when I get there. I don't have anything per particularly on as a focus right now. Nothing has presented itself as the same asymmetric type trade um, that GameStop potentially could be. What do you think of AMC and BlackBerry? Would that be something that you're interested in? Or is that just kind of like a GameStop tulip craze of retail bouncing back? Um, I think uh, to an extent it is, uh, they saw what a short raid could do for GameStop. So mm -hmm. uh, people started essentially raiding highly shorted stocks. So mm -hmm. AMC, BlackBerry, and a few others uh, costs were on a list of like top 10 shorted stocks. So there was a, re a really big run for these stocks uh, so to try to force massive holdings to be closed uh, in terms of those short positions. So that's that's what we saw there. Do I, I I would say AMC could very well be a pretty good play in the long run. I'd have to take a look at their numbers a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, but it could be kind of the same spot as GameStop where uh, we have been in a pandemic. We have been in a lockdown. Um, they're, they've been shorted into the ground. They're at a very low um a very low valuation, but whether or not 
see with with GameStop there, even though they were beaten into the ground, they had another sector of their income. They had their e-commerce that was growing hand over fist, where AMC is just a movie theater. So yes, they've gotten a cash infusion, but that's still that's mm-hmm. debt. That's a cash infusion of debt, and whether or not um, the new strains of coronavirus are going to continue to pu- put us into a state of lockdown and not enjoy movies for the next six or eight months, then that cash infusion is great right now. But that's more of a pump up now on the the fact that they've gotten some free float cash, but it doesn't mean people are actually watching movies. Um, the hand over fist expansion of the GameStop e-commerce um, showed us that it was not dying. So yeah, they're 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 much different. If if AMC say had an e-commerce um, suddenly that they were uh, growing hand over fist, then I would say yeah that we we probably have um, kind of some similarities, but uh, I, I don't think so. And and BlackBerry, I haven't read enough about it. Um, it did sound pretty undervalued. Uh, they're transitioning to an information security company um, and have some sites set on being security software surrounding electric vehicles. So I mean, it could be an interesting play, uh, but I, I don't know enough right now to actually put money into it. Gotcha. All right. What about tech? Is there anything you see in tech because you work in tech and know that industry, especially in security? Yeah. Oh, well, security. I mean, with uh, there was a massive solar winds breach lately, which is a, a piece of software that's run by massive institutions. It, it monitors networks and all the different hardware within an infrastructure. And it needs the keys to the castle. When that was breached, a bunch of information security stocks shot up but there's still a huge future in that because not only did they they shoot up we saw companies start to move a large amount of money to their it spend and their specifically their security spend so that's going to be pretty huge over the next few years is really securing um major corporations from digital espionage and um, these kinds of cyber warfare attacks so cyber security is definitely a play so people who do firewalls um security software, endpoint protection, um, things like that. Great. I have two more questions for you before we wrap up. One, why is everyone was saying GameStop was going to be the next blockbuster? Why Mm -hmm. did you not believe that and go the other direction? Well, blockbuster and GameStop are two totally different things. Mm -hmm. So yes, um, everyone's reasoning of saying that GameStop is Blockbuster 2.0 is the fact that everyone everyone is downloading video games. Um, but the the pushback on that is yes, games are going digital, but games are getting absolutely huge. They're getting massive, and not in terms of um, like market space, in terms of the amount you have to download in order to retrieve a game. Um, the U.S. has also had a very poor, poor expansion of their broadband internet. So you have very poor competition. Um, you have these regional monopolies or duopolies uh, that hampers the speed of internet and also um, causes people to put internet caps. So like our internet at home is 1.5 terabyte cap. Some of these new games coming out are 200 gigabytes. Um, So it takes seven games, eight games for me to completely uh, max out my cap. And that doesn't even count for me playing online or doing my normal Netflix or anything like that. So while the, the argument is there that everything's going digital, there's still a lot of people who don't live in areas with sufficient broadband to support these massive, massive new games. So there's always going to be people buying physical games. Um, Blockbuster was also before Netflix came along because they're saying, well, Netflix digitized movies and caused people to move away from the rental. Blockbuster tried to do the online digital stuff, but it was poorly done. And they were also, before they before Netflix even came along, Blockbuster was expanding so rapidly, they didn't change and they were going into debt very quickly. Uh, Hollywood Video had already come along, stolen their business model and made it 10 times better than Blockbuster could have ever wanted. Um, so they were already in the gutter much before Netflix came along. So it's not really a Blockbuster Netflix similarity at all because Netflix didn't necessarily put Blockbuster out of business. Blockbuster's poor business practices put Blockbuster out of business. Um, And GameStop, yes, things are going digital, but there's still a whole gaming market that is not just video games. It's all the hardware. It's computer chairs, it's computer desks, it's PC hardware, it's the consoles, it's all the little accoutrement that go with it, your controllers and the bling that people put on it. People, they also do collectibles and board games and all these other aspects of the gaming community that's not just downloading games. So having the argument that they're the next blockbuster is essentially short-sighted and it means that you haven't actually looked into one, why Blockbuster died, and two, all the driving forces behind GameStop currently. I love it. 
And the other question I have for you is we had a lot of discussions with investors that we look up to about this decision, and they made the the point that I really believed in as well. So just because Ryan Cohen was becoming a CEO and on the board and doing this takeover, there's a lot of executives that take positions and make all these promises, but they don't necessarily come to fruition. Uh, there's a lot of hot air. There's a lot of, there's like a PR parade. Why did you feel like Ryan Cohen was the man that was going to take this transition to a different place? Uh, from I've read a few interviews with Ryan Cohen, and this man doesn't go anything. He doesn't do anything half-assed. Uh, he went into Chewy, and he went door-to-door to all the venture capitalists and all the people who, like angel investors and people who could potentially put money into his Chewy business. hundred different investors all said no. One of them finally came back, gave him 100K. Ryan Cohen was able to on 100K, build a $3.5 billion business is when he sold it. And since then, the structure that he's built has become, again, a $40 billion business valued. Um, So after he divested from Chewy, he then said, there's been interviews with him where he he went all in on Tesla and Apple. So he just went pretty much all of his, his entire net worth went into those two stocks. And as you can see over 2020, Tesla and Apple went nuclear so and then he said no so many people have gone to him wanting him to do more business ventures and do different things um and he said no to every single thing that's come across his purview except for gamestop so something said yes to him on gamestop he decided to go in um he's very very focused on the tasks that he gets into so I, I just believe he'll succeed. He's, he's our age. He's got a lot of energy. Uh, he's very focused. He's very driven. Um, and I think he can do great things for GameStop in the long run. All right. Well, what would you advise to people who currently are in GameStop and might be panicking right now? Just hold. Mm-hmm. That's all you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, don't don't look at the fluctuations. Um, if you want, file uh, complaints to the SEC. Mm-hmm. Uh, call your congressperson. Call, call your Senate person. Um, make it known that there's market manipulation at the largest level and we should probably just hold it <laughs> um i hope you didn't if, if you are in a situation where you're holding gamestop and you purchase at a very high level um i hope it was not something that you cannot afford to lose i would never tell anyone to buy something that they can't afford to lose so uh, go into it if you want to get in just be willing to lose absolutely everything um that's about it. Just hold. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, Mike is my co-founder at moneyselfmade.com. So if you have any questions for him, you can always email us at hello at moneyselfmade.com. And please join the Facebook group. I will be posting our moves in the Facebook group, but I'm never, ever going to be giving advice to yeah, this anybody. Is, this is not financial advice. Not financial advice. We I am not professionals. <laughs> not a professional. Not, not licensed to give. And this was in no way um, telling you to buy any one particular stock. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are all personal opinions um so yes we're just talking about what we have done uh exactly take what you will this is just my personal adventure Mm -hmm. and an adventure it has been to say the least well thank you for coming on the show mike it's been a real pleasure and learning experience is there anything else you want to share with the audience before you sign off today (laughs) bye-bye can't stop won't stop gamestop gamestop yolo